It really has been a beautiful day in so many ways, hasn't it? And aren't we blessed to be able to come together at a place like this one for the purpose that we are to offer unto our God in heaven the rightful worship that He deserves. We noted this morning as part of our lesson several passages that highlighted the sweetness and the privilege of worship, and we've been given a second opportunity for that today. This evening, as you appreciate the lesson text, there was a comment or two before the service began about the brevity of that, and in this case, Brother Jim, Brother Colonel had the opportunity to read that rather brief passage, the shortest verse in English in the New Testament, Jesus wept. Tonight, I would invite for the next few moments for you and me to give some consideration to that brief passage, not only the nature of our Master weeping, but a number of lessons that are so useful and quite frankly, practically so for you and me today. This opening slide will be one that will motivate, I hope, our lesson, certainly in the following way. Wouldn't it be fair to say that tears, crying, one of the strongest emotions, I suppose, that you and I might express or that we may witness expressed in the life of another. And there are, of course, a number of things in life that might bring a person to tears. Maybe it's great grief. Perhaps it's overwhelming sorrow. Maybe it's great disillusionment. Maybe it's a tremendous sense of a loss of some gigantic and tremendous opportunity that will never occur again. It's easy to see then, isn't it, that on a number of occasions, maybe you and I have witnessed it, perhaps either there many times ourselves. And yet, as you ponder it, the text before us tonight affirmed Jesus wept. This one who was as much God as He was, of course, humanity, and yet there were some things in His life that brought Him to tears. What made Jesus cry? Throughout the pages of the New Testament, what things brought Jesus to tears? What things were so overwhelming, so great in terms of their importance, their character, that they brought the Son of Man to tears? Let's study them tonight. There's only a few of them given in Scripture, and as we reflect on them, we might ask, how would I have reacted? Would that have brought me to tears? Is that circumstance in my life or the life of another so overwhelming that I too might shed tears over it. It will be a study, I hope, interesting enough that it might cause us to reflect on what then are those things most important, most significant, most needful that they prompted Jesus to cry. The opening part of the lesson will perhaps be a more general introduction, thinking at least for a moment about crying. When you've cried in your life, or when you've witnessed it in the life of someone so close to you. Isn't it a rather overwhelming thing in many cases? Look at some of these things. Isn't it true God fashioned the human frame with the capacity of shedding tears? He made you and me that way. There are matters so developing, so overwhelming to our psyche, so moving and compelling to our structure, if you please, and our composition, that the natural response wells up in you and me and brings forth tears. As you'll begin to notice, look at the number of examples, and this is by no means all of them. I just selected a few. In Genesis 27, verse 38, Esau was brought to tears when he realized his brother had stolen the family blessing by deceiving their father. 
And Esau pleaded, give me a blessing too, but his father couldn't do it, for that could only be done once. And Esau knew it would never be his. He cried. He recognized the loss of something was so significant at that moment it could never be recovered. And it brought him to tears. In Genesis 46, verse number 29, there Joseph was brought to tears. Oh, for quite some time he had hidden himself from his brothers when they came to Egypt to, to get grain. But finally he revealed himself to them. And when he finally went to bring his father, his aged father, to take care of him in Egypt, it says that they embraced and he wept a long time with him. There he was crying for happiness. He finally was blessed to see the father he hadn't seen for years. There the crying was a very different one than was the case of Esau's. What about another one? In Psalm 137 verse 1, there are the captives that had been taken into Babylon. When they remembered Zion, they wept. Notice they had now been forcibly removed from that place, couldn't go to the temple anymore. They now had been hauled off to a, for, to a foreign land and they cried when they realized what they no longer could do. Zion was sweet to them then after they'd lost it. What about that case of Ezra 3 verse 12? That temple that Solomon had constructed was so elaborate and so ornate and so extravagant, but of course it was burned in 2 Kings 25 9. Years later, when those returned captives, they began to rebuild it. When the old men remembered what the former temple had looked like and they saw the foundation for the new one, some of them cried because this one was nothing compared to that former one. It wasn't nearly as elaborate. They didn't have all the money Solomon had. That brought some of them to crying. There they remembered so fondly how great that former tabernacle, that former temple had been. Maybe just a few final ones. In Isaiah 38.3, the king Hezekiah had been told by Isaiah the prophet from the very word of God, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and wept bitterly. There was a man who was crying because he knew he was about to die. And it was a very strong element. And I suppose many of us could at least imagine that. That brought Hezekiah to tears. One final one. In Luke 22, verse 62, Peter was brought to tears. There he wasn't crying over his own demise. He cried because he had denied the Lord three times, and Jesus told him he would. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And when it happened, Peter went out and wept bitterly. There he cried because of his own failure. He cried because of his own shortcoming and his own sin. Maybe those have whetted our appetite. Given that all of these individuals cried for these various and sundry reasons, what about Jesus crying? What occasions moved Him to tears? And so it is at the bottom of that slide, our Lord is our example. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 quickly tells us, Be ye followers of me, Paul exclaimed, even as I too am a follower of Christ. If Jesus was brought to tears for the re these reasons we're about to see, it wouldn't at all be inappropriate for you and me to shed tears on occasions like this. Let's begin our study then in the following way. The lesson text that was read earlier, that very brief passage in John chapter 11, that'll be the first moment of stop.
the first platform of our stoppage tonight. It would do us well, though, to revisit the circumstances surrounding that brief passage, for there is a great deal of interesting and fruitful consideration to it. You and I remember that the Lord had some very close friends named Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. This was a brother and his two sisters, and the Lord was very close to them. In fact, He appears to have spent many times lodging with them and appreciating their kindness and hospitality. So much so that I might invite you to notice in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42, that was an occasion when Martha was much cumbered with much, with much serving, and Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him and being encouraged by Him. Jesus told Martha, Mary hath chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. Isn't it interesting that not only was that an occasion, but in John chapter 12, verses 1 and following, this same Mary anointed the Lord in light of His soon departure by way of death. I say all of that to say this, Jesus was very close to this family. They loved Him and He loved them. It is with that in mind we notice Lazarus died. We are not told what the affliction was, but he died. And in John chapter 11, when word came to Jesus, the Master didn't come to him immediately. In fact, it would be two days later the Lord began his journey toward Bethany where Lazarus lived. When the Master arrived, the first one of which we have record was Martha. She met Jesus at the outskirts of the city. She no doubt had become aware of His coming. And when she met Jesus, they had conversation. It was an amazing conversation. In fact, Martha spoke first, said, If thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Oh, what confidence she had in Jesus. She knew if He had been there, He could have prevented the death. She knew if Jesus had been there, He could have forestalled and done away with whatever it was that was bringing Lazarus to illness. However, the Lord quickly replied, Thy brother shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Did you notice? She was talking about Lazarus' physical death, that which had taken place not many days previous, and yet the Lord took her to the reality at the end of time. Lazarus will rise again. Aren't you impressed with how she immediately replied, I know that he shall rise again at the resurrection at the last day. That wasn't news to her. She understood it well. It was then that Jesus responded by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live again. And he that believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Don't you know that filled her heart with great confidence and positive consideration. But may I say that she, it seems, quickly left and went and told Mary, the Master is here. She went and got her sister. Mary too came and she had conversation with Jesus. And you may notice very quickly, as that happened, Jesus witnessed something. He saw it in Martha. He saw it in Mary. He saw it in the other friends and associates to Lazarus. I would call that to your attention as we close that slide and turn to the next one. What the Lord saw was this. He noticed with great care, and the text is very clear, He witnessed their weeping. 
He saw the anguish and the emotional response that had filled the heart of Martha and Mary. He saw the emotional way that they had been brought themselves to tears over the loss of their brother. He saw those friends and associates, the Jews, who too were so greatly moved by the passing of Lazarus. Could I invite you to notice with care? The aftermath of that is this. Jesus wept. Would you be impressed with the fact Jesus did not weep because Lazarus had died? After all, Lazarus appears now to have been in a better place, quite frankly. As a servant of the Lord, we know he was. If he died in the Lord, Lazarus left this life and was in a better place than he was in here. And yet the Lord raised him from the dead and brought him back to this place. He must have had a great understanding of what great works Lazarus could do in the future. But this much might be said. What moved our Savior to tears was the reaction of Martha and Mary and the friends. The text says Jesus groaned. He groaned over seeing how they themselves were so moved by the loss of Lazarus. Jesus groaned, and it's in that context that He wept. No wonder in that sense, might we notice there are many other places in Scripture where when someone passed away, an associate, a family member, a friend, that person may have been brought to tears. In Mark 16, verse number 10, the closing chapter of the gospel according to Mark, there our Savior had died. But you'll notice the women, as they had come to the tomb, they found it empty and then they went back and told the disciples. And it's interesting that they said the disciples were mourning and weeping. Those disciples had grown to love Jesus. Those apostles had grown near to Him over those three years and after Jesus had died, they themselves had been moved to tears over His loss. There's a second example. What about Luke 8 verse 52? Jairus. You and I remember he had a little girl and she died. And yet Jesus was brought to the place and He went in with Peter and James and John and He ultimately raised that little girl back to life. But you'll notice before He did so, they were weeping in that vicinity. The death of someone can move us to tears. How often have you visited the funeral home? Or maybe been there at the time of the funeral? We at this congregation have known that very recently, haven't we? And no doubt is we've contemplated it in our own physical lives with grandparents, great-grandparents, and even others. Aren't those occasions? And may we never forget when we see how that someone's life has been impacted by the loss of a person so near them, we might be moved to tears thinking about how that person is now going to react. Jesus was brought to tears. As you and I close that slide, don't you remember with me how David reacted? When Absalom died in 2 Samuel 18, how did David react? And David was his father. David said, Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. David, you see, recognized well a very sweet disposition and union with respect to Absalom. And yet he himself was brought to tears when Absalom died. Examples like that could likely be considered many times over than the ones I've listed. But the fact that Jesus wept and groaned 
when he saw the reaction of Martha and Mary and the Jews, that highlights that he too was one who could be compelled in emotional response over the agony felt by another. With that in mind, we might ask, what about other instances when Jesus cried? We've seen one, but it isn't the only one listed. Let's study another one for the next few moments. In Luke 19, verse number 41, we have another one. As you and I visit that one, here the scene is very different. It had nothing to do with a circumstance like Lazarus. As we did before, let's paint a bit of a dramatic picture in light of the circumstances surrounding it. Our Savior was a mere days ahead of the crucifixion. In fact, this was Sunday of the crucifixion week. Jesus entered into Jerusalem triumphantly. But isn't it impressive that He did not ride on a white horse, nor did He ride on a prancing black stallion. He rode on a colt. That fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah 9 verse 9. Our Savior rode on a beast of poverty and burden. He did not come in in such a fanciful fashion. Though He was indeed a king, He was servant of all. Mark 10 45. And yet as our Savior entered Jerusalem, something rather remarkable is now asserted. Here was one who himself was really a king. And as he triumphantly entered the city, he wept over it. He cried over Jerusalem. There's our second example. What is it that drove our Savior to tears on that occasion? What was it about the city? You and I have at least been involved in many cities likely in our life. When you come to Cookville, does that bring you to tears? When you drive to Nashville, does that bring you to tears? When you go to Memphis, may we recognize interestingly, what was it about Jerusalem and what was it about this time that brought our Savior to cry over it? Let's develop that point from, again, Luke 19, verse 41. From the context, we know very well what was being described. Our Savior was very knowledgeable, obviously, of the future. He knew very well what was going to befall Jerusalem. He understood well how they were going to reject Him. He knew very clearly what was going to come their way because of that ultimate and faithful rejection. In fact, the sister passage to this one in Matthew 23 has so much to say. Jesus there saying... I, as a hen, would have gathered thee under my wings, but you wouldn't. Isn't it true? Jesus had such a keen appreciation of what the future was going to hold, and yet their rejection would reach a final end 40 years from hence. From the time Jesus cried over it, He could see into the future. 40 years were going to pass, and when it did, when it did, that city was going to be destroyed. A lot of people's lives were going to be lost. Now it's true that the Christians escaped that city because they understood the signs the Savior had delivered to them in Matthew chapter 24. But you'll notice the pagans and the heathens and those that had no interest in the things of Christ, they ignored what signs even if they knew them. And when the Roman army came, that crushing Roman army led by Vespasian and Titus, it crushed that city, destroyed it, including the temple. And that brought an end to the Jewish system as you and I now know it. All of those records of Jewish history, they were all lost. Jesus wept over Jerusalem because He could see what was going to happen when they rejected Him. 
He could appreciate so clearly what was going to befall them. That's what drove him to tears in this, in this instance. And so as we develop that, that isn't the only time when we recognize here was a man weeping over the great, terrible tribulation that was going to be brought. You probably can remember other instances in the Word of God in which there were individuals so moved by a scene of tribulation. What about Job? The book of Job is a timeless record about a man who began that book with such greatness. He was the greatest man in the East, the text tells us. And yet, he lost all of that in one day. There were marauders, enemies who came and stole away his camels and his oxen and his sheep. And not only that, a a weather-related catastrophe crushed the house that his children were in and they died. In one day, he lost not only his family, excepting his wife, but also his possessions. You and I would struggle over losing all of that, even over a lengthy period, much less than one day. And yet, he lost it all then. His friends came to him in the next chapter, and the text says they wept over the scene. They were so moved by what they saw this friend of theirs experiencing. There... His tribulation, His affliction, His challenge led them to tears. As you and I close that slide, might we at least ask, when someone, perhaps a family member or otherwise, is suffering a great tribulation, it's true, we can't read into the future like Jesus could. But you and I oftentimes know very well what sorts of things are going to happen. When someone makes foolish choices, when they make bad decisions, and you and I know they're headed down a pathway that's leading nowhere good. Oh, it may not lead to the bad destination in a week or a month or a year, but you know it's coming. You just know it. There wouldn't be anything wrong with shedding tears of sadness and sorrow over the Poor choices this individual is making. Jesus shed tears over the choice Jerusalem was making. Oh, how that burns in our heart when we think about what Jesus did then. His triumphal entry and He paused to cry. Our Savior is such a great teacher in so many ways, isn't He? So far we've looked at these two instances when Jesus cried. One of them over the death of Lazarus in light of how His family was reacting On another occasion, Jerusalem's rejection and what that was going to mean for so many people who were going to die. What about example number three? In what other instance did Jesus cry? This time we race to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 5, verses 7 and 8. I'll give you an opportunity to be turning to that place for we're going to read that seventh verse especially and find in it a very strong description about Jesus and His crying. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7, 8, and 9. A trio of verses that bring before us this interesting observation. The Hebrew writer, of course, highlighting in the opening chapters of this book the greatness of Christ, how He was greater than Moses, He's greater than Joshua, He's greater than the angels. And yet in the midst of that, is highlighted the fact that he is forever a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And in that very discussion, the following verse is found. 
beginning in verse 6, as he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. I'm sure we all noticed it in the midst of verse 7. A reference was made to the fact that with strong crying and tears. The circumstance here under description was not just a trivial crying. It wasn't just a crying to perhaps give the impression of being moved. It was a genuine moving of the Spirit. I wonder when this happened. When in the life of Jesus did He cry with strong crying and tears? You'll notice this context gives us a clue. It says, "...in the days of His flesh, when He had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto Him that was able to save Him from death." The circumstance under discussion here was in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before He died. You may recall the scene there again is a very memorable one. Jesus, of course, had gone out to that place after celebrating the Passover, after instituting the Lord's Supper. He went out to that Garden of Gethsemane and His spirit was so moved with anguish and trouble. He took three of His apostles Peter, James, and John, and He went a little further with them. And then He gave them instructions, You stay here and watch. And then He went about a stone's throw further. And the text says that He began to pray very earnestly, and He was amazed. And not only that, it says that sweat dropped from Him as drops of blood. Luke 22, verse 44 You'll notice in the midst of that prayer, he said, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Notice again, that's what the Hebrew writer referred. The one who could save him from death, he prayed to him with strong crying. Have you ever cried strongly? I suppose we've shed tears somewhat innocently, somewhat as a bystander as we've witnessed the events of another. But here was a man who in recognition of the events of the next day, he shed strong tears and strong crying. Let's go a little bit further in our appreciation. Isn't it true here Jesus was weeping? I wonder why He cried. I wonder why He cried. I would submit to you that certainly one thing to keep in mind, the next day was going to be extraordinarily painful. Nails driven in your hands. Nail driven in your feet, a crown of thorns pushed down on your head, and then a man beating you over the head after the crown of thorns had been put on you. That was painful. That was so painful. And think about the lashes that he received. That Roman soldier wailing away at him. He was scourged, John 19 verse 1 tells us. No doubt that was painful. I'd submit to you that wasn't the ultimate reason for His crying in this verse. What drove our Savior to tears? What was it so moved Him and so motivated Him that He cried not just minimally but strongly? Perhaps you'll notice with me the following considerations. 
it would appear that what drove our Savior to crying and what was the principal motivation was sin. Sin. It was sin that did it. Not His, mind you, for He didn't have any. Hebrews 4.15 still tells us in such fantastic display, we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. But why he cried? He knew he was going to have to be identified with sin. He was going to carry yours and mine to the cross, and he hates sin. He hates it. But he knew that was the only way it could be forgiven. He was going to have to be identified with it. 1 Peter 2 verses 21 to 24 says he bore it. He bore, he carried sin when he never had known anything about it on his own. He didn't have any. He had never thought one thing sinful, said one thing sinful, done one thing sinful. But he carried my sins and yours to the cross and he knew he was going to have to be identified with sin the next day. No wonder he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God is a pure eyes in the whole sin, Habakkuk 1.13. Even God, His Father, had to look away for a moment because His Son was carrying sin, not His own, mine and yours. I'd suggest to you that's why He cried so strongly. But oh, how we've been benefited and blessed by what He did. By the fact He was willing to pass through that crucible, that challenge, that death, that difficulty, that sacrificial death... We could enjoy salvation from sin, being able to be forgiven from it. One key thought, it seems, in relation to that whole scenario is a word that seems as though we should develop it more keenly. Mourn, M-O-U-R-N. Now I realize sometimes we use M-O-R-N as a shorthand word for mourning. I mean mourn to be brought to a sense of great weeping and tears over something that's so moving. Didn't Jesus say, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted? Matthew 5 verse 4. And yet there are times in the Bible when we appreciate Jesus was brought to tears because He knew what sin is. One of the things that would be so helpful to all every person who is a human being is if we could truly understand and realize the enormity of sin. It isn't minimal. It's not minor. It isn't trivial. It'll damn your soul. It was so serious it took Jesus to the cross. And yet in Lamentations 1 verse 12, we read in the Old Testament of how the children of Israel, many they had by that point reached the point of entering into captivity, and yet Jeremiah proclaimed... Is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? Jerusalem was smoldering in the heaps, and yet they didn't care. Their sin had not brought them to repentance. Their sin hadn't brought them to have a concern and a heart that anguished. Is it nothing to you, all you that pass by? After they'd made it into captivity, the prophet Ezekiel said something similar in Ezekiel 8 verse 17. When on that occasion he said to Judah... Is it nothing to you? They just didn't care. Sin didn't mean much to them. And yet sin was so great it drove our Savior to great tears. Strong crying and tears. Let's add another to that. In Judges 2 verse 4, again in the heart of the Old Testament, 
the children of Israel had chosen to do wickedly. And yet as they did that, God commissioned an angel to come to them and He said, Why have you done this? That's a good question. I suppose there's no sinner that can offer a good answer to that. Why are you doing that? Why don't you change and repent and do right? Why are you continuing to do this? By the way, the text says the children of Israel then were brought to tears because they understood the needfulness of mourning over sin. Maybe one final thought would be in the New Testament. In James chapter 4 verse 9, there in the little book of James, we again see the importance, the needfulness of mourning over sin. May you and I then never take it lightly, and it wouldn't at all be inappropriate to cry over sin. When you realize it in yourself, when you realize it in someone you love, when you realize it in someone who's headed again the wrong path, it wouldn't be wrong to cry for what they're doing, to shed tears over the direction in life they're taking. Jesus did it. He shed strong tears and crying, Hebrews 5, verse number 7. He might well be as we close our lesson in tonight. Jesus wept. Although that little verse in John eleven thirty five 35 reminds us that was the scene when Lazarus died and what, of course, happened in the life of Martha and Mary and those others. These other two examples, too, have been so meaningful. You and I might be brought to tears when we see what great emotional response is in the life of another who is facing so much. Aren't we taught in Romans 12, weep with them that weep. But not only that, we looked at a second example. Jerusalem, in light of the poor choices that she was making, her rejection of God, Jesus cried over her. You and I might cry over those particular choices that a loved one or a friend is making. Finally, sin. Jesus shed strong tears when He recognized He was going to have to be identified with sin. When you and I keep thoroughly in mind what sin is and what it means and what it has done and what it will do, oh, how it hurts this earth. Oh, how the creation languishes because of sin. Hosea 4 verses 2 and 3. This very night then as you and I ponder shedding tears... It is true we have studied tonight these occasions when Jesus cried over these rather sad circumstances. Aren't you thankful there are times of joy, happiness like we studied early in the lesson tonight? But I hope we've at least learned that these occasions that brought Jesus to tears wouldn't at all be inappropriate if those similar things brought us to tears as well. Thanks be unto God for, for His Word that helps us to understand, to respond in these physical emotions that God has given us, and to channel them in the way that truly glorifies Him. This very night as we've assembled, it might be that as the invitation is extended, someone here, maybe you too realize that just like the Laodiceans in Revelation 3, all isn't well with you and you too want to come back to a place of faithfulness and goodness and trust. We'd be delighted to pray to God for you. In fact, you could leave this place feeling whole and sanctified and restored. You could leave this place not encumbered with those sins that have so filled perhaps your life in days past. If we could pray in those ways for you tonight, don't you want to leave with that new feeling of exhilaration, that feeling of happiness and joy, that feeling that your soul is saved? 
If you've never become a Christian, why not tonight? Can there ever be a better night than the 10th of September, 2017? For you to put on Jesus in baptism, what you must do, believe in Jesus with all of your heart, repent of your sins, confess His name and be baptized. And if we could assist you in that way, we truly would wish to do it. As we stand and sing in just a moment this hymn of encouragement, the invitation is extended. What a convenient time and what an opportune one at that. If we could be of help to anyone, why don't you come while together we stand and while we sing.